It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, while we prepare for our Test Cricket Summer to get underway, don't be fooled. It is definitely still rugby season, and to be fair, the weather might agree. Super Rugby Pacific is only weeks away, and we are right in the middle of one of the most impressive Six Nations in years. Ireland's win over France in the weekend has confirmed what many suspected, that Andy Farrell's men should be favourites to finish 2023 as World Cup champions. But for other nations, there are some tough questions to be asked. Their performances so far, our man, everything Irish and Northern Hemisphere rugby is Gavin Casey, and he's a gun sports journalist for the 42IE, and that's the Irish... And uh, he's online now. Evening to you, Gav. How you doing? Good morning, boys. How Oh, very good, mate. Very good down under. She's a bit crazy here. We've got a bit of a cyclone happening around the country. But uh, we're, we're all good. Our spirits are high. And I know yours are high as well, mate, because Ireland are flying at the moment. Have they peaked too early? <laughs> That's a question we tend to ask every four years now. Uh, you know what? I'm not sure. I've always felt as though this team has had a greater capacity to improve than, say, the team that you, you could have argued in 2018 had become the best team in the world. They were close enough to your boys at the time when, when Ireland beat New Zealand at the Aviva in November 2018. Then they've started to deceive a little bit in subsequent Six Nations the following spring and obviously the World Cup. Went and dismantled us in the quarterfinal, and it really felt as though I think with this one, what makes them a little bit different, and the cognizance on behalf of some of their players, the reality as well, is that even in victories over, say, New Zealand, or uh, then in your neck of the woods, but equally against South Africa and Australia in November, it felt as though, yes, Ireland were very good, but there was for improvement in some of the play and some of the performances, especially probably against South Africa and Australia, it felt as though in attack they left scores behind them. And that was probably a reality of the game against France on Saturday as well. And probably blew five or six opportunities that would have made it a lot more comfortable. So hopefully they're only maybe 75 or 80 percent of the way towards capacity at a World Cup, whereas Last time, I think that performance against New Zealand in, in November 2018 was the apex for that team. I'm not sure they could have taken it much further than that. And the other countries obviously caught up and overtook them in the next 12 months. Hey, Gav, it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts on this. Um, obviously, Ireland have been down here last year, and the Six Nations is a wonderful tournament to be watching at the moment. What's the difference in your mind between the Southern and the Northern Hemisphere at the moment? 
I think, I actually don't think there's a great deal of difference between, say, any of the top five or six countries. I know it's easy to say Ireland are the world's best at the moment, but we also know how quickly these things change, right? And if you look at, say, the game against Australia, uh, that was a really close game that came down to the wire. Ireland only got the job done at the table fairly South Africa. Another day, South Africa probably win that game, Dublin, and the complexion, and the entirely afterwards. You've got uh, France and South Africa had a stunning game with Paris in November as well. So it might be easy for perception to be created between uh, and, and the second moment where you could say, oh, well, Ireland and France are definitively one, two, and the Southern Hemisphere countries are, are sort of trying to keep up with that. I, I think if South Africa played Ireland five times, or say if South Africa and Ireland played ten times, do each of them win five? I really don't think there's a great deal of difference. I also think that there's almost a universality you now in terms of the styles of play. The distinction between uh, a more traditional jump type of Northern Hemisphere approach uh, and your more fluid, more expressive brand of rugby from years past has been blurred, right? Like, and you look at Ireland against France, you could definitely say some of their attack is, is prescriptive, but it's still aesthetically nice to watch. And it does seem to be effective against teams of, of all varieties. So, I don't know, I still think we can... It's very easy to get ahead of yourself, and uh, I would say when a World Cup runs around, you guys have had another nine, ten months with, say, Joe Schmidt involved there. You look at Ireland's first try against France, it's literally a move that Joe Schmidt created for Ireland that they ran against England in 2014. Bob Carney scored the Hugo Keenan scored against France. Well, you've got your lads now, so he's going to be coming up with similar moves, I'm pretty sure, for later on this year. We're talking to Gavin Casey out of Ireland and we're going to just let him go and we'll fix that little phone line and we'll get him back up shortly. But we're talking about Ireland's success and he talked about that performance in, over the weekend and that first try, in fact, Kempi, we spoke about yesterday to Hugo Keenan when they went left and the prop just went to dummy outside and threw it on the inside. Hugo Keenan came from the open side, pretty much the blind side to a defensive uh, line and just shot on that inside and probably scored one of the solo tries of the weekend. So they were flying, and, and that's what we spoke about. You said the, the innovation that they're coming up with. Yes, that was come up with in previous era to, when Smith was there, but they're constantly making you guess, and they're not making you, um, you know, coming up with the same ideas and same plans. Gavin, are you there? Yes. Sorry about that, boys. Yeah, can you hear me better now? That's a yeah. That's a. Better line, my friend, better line. We're talking about the innovation and, and the variation. And we're t- you, you were talking about it uh, throughout your, your chat just then, Hugo Keenan's first try. And, and just on him, he is very, very talented at the moment. And, and I thought after Rob Carney left, I, you'd, be, you'd be struggling to maybe find a quality class fullback, but he has taken that role on extremely well. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I think even in the try itself, you see that rugby IQ that he has. He seems to be just a pretty intelligent guy on and off the field. And he's doing almost, you know, calculations that almost break next speed as he's trying to decide whether he goes through the middle or whether he uses one of the four or five options that he had to either side of them, either side of him. And uh, eventually he goes it alone and he scores. And it's almost that like it seems like he almost has a, a, math, a mathematical brain where he's able to compute space and he's almost carny like as well in how he covers the backfield and he just has a, a really good instinct for where 
he needs to be on the field. But it's funny just speaking to a couple of players who've played with him and, and speaking to the Irish coaches as well, I guess. Like Keenan has 27 caps now, I think. He's still relatively green in the Ireland jersey, but he's also part of their leadership group. He's extremely vocal. So obviously, as you guys know, your full-back's role is not just to, to look after his own space on the pitch, but it's to communicate with his wings as well and, and let them know when to drop back, etc. And, and by all accounts, Keenan is extremely vocal on that front and just a really impressive um, leader as well in that Ireland backline. So he's, he's a guy who's flourishing. He's probably a guy, though, to be honest, where he's become so good it's hard to know what the drop-off is to the next guy down. Fullback is probably one of the few positions for Ireland where you could argue there's maybe not a great deal of depth or at least the guys that might deputise for him in the event of an injury haven't really been tested at test level uh, in that 15 jersey. So uh, important to get a few minutes into them as well ahead of a World Cup, right? Is that, is that the chink in the armour, uh, Gav, the, the depth in the squad? Because there was talk on it when they travelled down here at the end of last year. The, the first 15 was very good, but when you're looking across the board for the next 15, there was a little bit of a, an issue with depth. Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I actually think they've answered that question over the course of, say, the South Africa game in November, Australia a little bit, but, but equally uh, that France game. Because, OK, fullback might be a position in which you could still have concerns in the absence of uh, Hugo Keenan. But if you look at, say, um, their front row, for example, they missed Dan Sheehan against France. Uh, Rob Herring came in there and, and did a very good job. Now, Rob Herring is an excellent scrummager. We knew that. He's not quite as dynamic in the loose as Dan Sheehan. And I genuinely thought before the game, the loss of Sheehan alone might have tipped that game in France's favour. But instead, you had somebody like Herring who, who stood up really well, We've already been missing Tyke Furlong for this championship so far. There was a time, boys, where I would say as recently as nine or ten months ago, going into a game against a team of an even or, or, or even a greater quality than Ireland, the absence of Tyke Furlong would have been considered terminal to Ireland's chances of winning that game. Instead, now you've got Finley Bealham, who is doing an exceptional job in Furlong's absence to the extent that I don't know that Ty Furlong would walk straight back into that Ireland team at loose head. And even beneath Finley Bealham, you have Tom O'Toole of Ulster, who's had only a handful of caps but came on and made a really strong impact. I think if you look at the fact that Johnny Sexton went off with about half an hour to go, equally there was a time where you'd be in a, a stadium, be it the Aviva or otherwise, and if you saw Johnny Sexton withdrawn and a game is tight, you're automatically thinking, Ireland are in trouble here. But in came yeah. Ross Byrne, and uh, he did pretty, pretty nicely. Craig Casey as well at scrum half, replacing Conor Murray. And Murray was only starting because Gibson Park wasn't available. So I do believe Ireland have yeah. managed to answer a few of those questions about depth. Yeah, particularly with the Johnny Sexton. You know, when Johnny Sexton, I love it when you see him. He's still got class. He's still showing some wheels and jets, his ability to... Open up in the open space, in particular with his Peter Omani as well leading the way. But it's another bloke we want to talk about. Keelan Doris put in a world, all world performance in the back row in the weekend. He's only twenty four. How how special a player can he be? Yeah, I think he's a freak athlete, really. And it's funny, you know. I guess watching somebody like France for many years in the Six Nations and England as well. It's generally the opposition that have these types of athletes, and Ireland don't produce too many of them. I guess it's partly a genetics thing. Uh, we we're, we're tend to be um, Irish people tend to be built for endurance rather than raw power. Uh, it might explain some of our history as well. But 
the uh, <laughs> the likes of Doris don't come along too often. I mean, you could point back to say somebody like a Stephen Ferris, right, who had to retire prematurely and had that like real raw dynamism to him. But you boys are, are pretty accustomed to having uh, players like that, and I think when somebody like Doris comes around for Ireland, it's um, it feels like almost an anomaly, and it's really just uh, a pleasure to have him playing for Ireland instead of against us, in all honesty. But he's a guy who just has virtually everything you want from a modern day back row is he like i just it's not just the power it's again the smarts you see the pass for gary ringrose's try i mean that's a combination almost of everything right he's making the right decision at a time when he's probably extremely tired but i don't even know how he physically gets the ball away with enough pop to get it out to ringrose because he's being tackled in that moment um he just does the fundamentals really well and has the Mm. I guess the physical profile to to do more than that again, and um, as long as he can stay healthy, really, he's a guy who who should be an all timer for Ireland. I mean, if we're reflecting on Caelan Doris's career in in eight or ten years, and I truly hope he does get that amount of road to run, uh, he should be he should be an all time great by the time he hangs up that jersey. All right, Ireland is sitting at the top of the throne, Gavin. That's sitting at the top of the throne. So which side? Is more desperate this weekend going into their matchup, England or Wales, Borthwick or Gats? <laughs> well, I guess if you were Warren Gatlin at the moment, you're probably there's probably a degree to which they've been so bad so far that they can't get much worse. I would say the expectation isn't quite as high of Gatlin at the moment either, because I think there's now a collective realization in Wales that. Uh, this squad and and really Welsh rugby um, on a macro level as well as a micro one is in a bit of trouble, right? Um, whereas with England, like if they were to lose to this Welsh team, <laughs> it would be a massive step backwards. Particularly after they they did okay against Italy. I mean, their English fans weren't especially blown away by their performance. I actually thought there were there were some green shoots and and sparks of life in that. Um, I think that England will be a good team by the end of this championship. I, I, I do think that. Like, Steve Borthwick is just in the door. He's coming with a certain philosophy. He's got Nick Evans as an attack coach who uh, probably approaches the game in a diametrically opposed way. And there's a little bit of a a melding in period, right? Or a blending in period where you're going to run into complications. But Ireland play England on the last weekend of the championship. We hope there'll be a grand slam at stake. It's going to be in Dublin. It's going to be on St. Patrick's weekend. And I just have a feeling that by then England will have uh, will have gotten their their stuff together and um, and will be pointing pretty well towards a World Cup. I'd fear for Wales. I think Wales' most crucial game in this championship is actually going to be uh, against Italy and Rome. And I think they're going to be trying to avoid getting a wooden spoon. And actually, on current oh. form, I would make Italy favourites for that game. In all honesty, people but people might not uh, remember, but I Italy went to Cardiff that. and beat Wales last year. So, yeah, that's the one for Wales, I think. Oh, I just, yeah, that'll be a difficult time to be a Welsh fan if that ever ever happens. We know Italy can beat anyone on their day. They have improved dramatically over the last couple of years under Kieran Crowley over there in Italy, so they're showing good signs. Just quickly, before we let you go, Scotland, mate, are they any good? <laughs> they're definitely pretty good. I don't know how good they are yet. I, I think their acid test, I think their acid test will probably be France and Paris, right? I'm glad that they have to go down to Paris before they host Ireland in 
Edinburgh because I think by then they'll either have suffered a, a deflating defeat or they will be so ahead of themselves that they'll presume the Grand Slam has already won by the time we get over there. So um, I think to be fair to them, it's rare that they put together two really important, impressive victories in a row. Usually they would say beat in England as they did in the opening day of the championship and then they suffer a really embarrassing defeat to somebody the next week around. They have a bit of momentum. I think the questions around them will be answered pretty quickly over the next couple of weeks. I don't have the, the answers right now because they've just... Uh, Scotland have fooled me enough times that I just don't trust them ever. Beautiful. Forget the latter. Ireland are absolutely flying at the moment, so that's all you need to worry about, Gavin Casey. We appreciate your time, mate. Thanks so much for always... Joining us and sharing your insights for the Six Nations. It's a wonderful competition and uh, we love watching it down under. So thanks so much, mate. Pleasure, boys. Anytime. Let the ticker tape fall. The Kansas City Chiefs are champs once again. Yes, yesterday's Super Bowl was decided with a last-minute field goal as Patrick Mahomes picked up his second ring and ended the MVP curse. We thought we'd head to Kansas City. How good and hear how the celebrations are going. In the football-mad city, Stephen St. John is host of 810 Border Patrol on Kansas City Radio, and he's with us now. SSJ, how are you going, mate? Doing good. How are you fellas doing? Yeah, man. We're doing well over here in New Zealand. What were the celebrations like on the streets of Kansas, Kansas City last night? Oh, well, last night it was wild. You know, not maybe not quite as wild as it was when they won their first championship in 50 years, four years ago. But uh, certainly, and, and the weather was beautiful. And so more people were out and celebrating. And, uh, you know, the great thing about it is, a little bit more experience now in celebrating the Super Bowl after winning it a couple of years ago. And so uh, it was uh, everyone's still very happy everywhere you look. People are wearing Chiefs gear. But I think most people learned their lesson from last time around. And so they're kind of saving up for the big parade that's going to come on Wednesday. And all the schools have already been let out. Everyone's been informed. No school. Uh, people, most people aren't going to have to work. And so everybody all around the region, not just in Kansas City, but all around the Midwest, will be downtown on Wednesday. And let me tell you then, that will be a party. That will be a party. Did you think the party was going to happen in quarter two when Patrick Mahomes went down and he limped off the field? Man, what was going through your mind there, SSJ? I'll tell you what. You learn never to doubt Patrick Mahomes, you know, because we saw when he hurt that ankle against Jacksonville in the divisional round, and you saw him come back. And then you saw him a week later lead this team to the AFC Championship. You learned to never doubt him. But when he was on the sideline, he looked like he was even in more pain than when he first heard it. But you find out that after talking to the trainers, the trainers walked away. They didn't have him go in the locker room early for x-rays. And then he was standing talking to Coach Reed, uh, before halftime was over. So that gave you a pretty good indication, although the pain was there, uh, he, you know, he was still going to be able to play. So uh, I was actually pretty uh, pretty enthusiastic about the chances at halftime. But I'll tell you what, until Nick Bolton made the big play, the big defensive player of the game, oh. the fumble return for a touchdown, I, I, you know, Patrick Mahomes deserves the MVP. People are going to talk about the offense. But especially here, what you got to understand is Nick Bolton is a graduate of the University of Missouri. That's only about an hour and a half away 
from Kansas City. Kansas City's in Missouri, so there's a lot of Mizzou, Missouri football fans. And for that second-year linebacker to make the biggest play of his life in the Super Bowl, and if just that he doesn't make that, it could be 24-7 to at halftime, and maybe we're not having this conversation. For Nick Bolton, a Missouri Tiger, to make that play for the Chiefs, that was incredible. That is when I thought, you know what, they're going to win this game when Bolton had that mm. uh, fumble return for a touchdown. Yeah, it was absolutely outstanding. The game on, on a whole is outstanding. SSJ, what about uh, Tyron Matthews' effort, uh, Travis Reese, uh, uh, Kelsey, and, and that carry back from Kadarius uh, Tony? How big was that play? Oh, you know, it was incredible. That's the longest punt return, Kadarius Tony, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. And that was a great trade that the general manager, Brett Beach, made. You know, he was a member of the New York Giants for the first half of the season. He was a first-round pick two years ago, and he just couldn't stay on the field for New York. And Brett Beach and the Chiefs, they trade a third and a sixth-round pick for him. He comes here, a very effective player, but uh, he still doesn't learn the whole offense. He was only out there for a handful of snaps. He catches a touchdown. And then the 65-yard punt return, another gigantic play. And let me tell you, when he learns the whole playbook and he has a full offseason in this program, watch out. He could be a star next year. What does the future hold for this Chiefs team? Like you, You've got to understand they've got a, few, a couple of first-round picks coming up. There's going to be – it's a pretty rookie team at the moment, and they're able to go on and win this competition. So the future looks pretty bright for this, this Kansas City Chiefs and the dynasty that they're going to be able to forge over the next couple of years? You know, you, you make a great point because this last offseason, uh, it was somewhat of a rebuild because they traded their superstar mm. receiver in Tyreek Hill for five draft picks, and they were able to save the money from not having him sign a contract, and they spread it around and signed different players like Juju Smith-Schuster and Justin Reed uh, and Carlos Dunlap. And then they took those draft picks and drafted young guys like, uh, you know, you saw Sky Moore and Trent McDuffie out there and George Karloftis and you know, Isaiah Pacheco was a rookie. And so they oh, were able not only, was not only to, to get younger, right, they get younger uh, in the secondary, they get younger at running back, they get younger on the defensive line, but they're also able to save money under the salary cap. So now... The NFL draft coming up in April, by the way, the draft's going to be in Kansas City. They're going to have 11 draft picks, and they're in good oh, salary oh, cap situation where they can go out and they can add some free agents. And so, really, they are set up right now to be Super Bowl contenders for a long, long time. KSSJ, is it too early to say that Patrick Mahomes is going to get those seven titles that uh, we only know too well Brady got? <laughs> are you going to beat him? <laughs> Hey, look, here's, here's the deal. Andy Reid, as long as Andy Reid wants to coach and as long as uh, Patrick Holmes is the quarterback, they're a Super Bowl contender. Now, the thing about Tom Brady is longevity. He played for such a long time. It was incredible that he played until his mid-40s. I don't know how long Mahomes is going to play, but as long as he plays, he's going to rewrite the record book and he's going to put up numbers that we've never seen before. Is he going to win as many titles as Brady? The odds are against him, but like we've learned so far, you never bet against Patrick Mahomes. In, in, in his first five years, nobody, no quarterback has had as much success as Patrick Mahomes in his first five years. And so, uh, you know what? 
I'm, I can't wait to find out. SSJ out of Kansas City Radio. Thank you for joining Izzy and Kempe on breakfast this morning. Uh, well done to the Kansas City Chiefs, mate. Enjoy Wednesday, yes. the party day. Thank you very much for coming on. I tell you what, don't call me on Thursday because I might not wake up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Stephen St. John. The action-packed global sale GP is coming to Christchurch. How good were the efforts in Singapore last stop? Before Littleton, though, we have to get through the weekend's effort on enemy water. The Sydney Harbour. The Aussies at the moment are firm leaders of Season 3, and they are, and they are will be red-hot favourites to extend their lead this weekend. The Kiwis are nipping at their heels in second spot, though, and have a lot to contend with this weekend to keep the heat on. Josh Jr. is one of our gun Kiwi sailors on our... Sal GP team, and he joins us now. Morning, JJ. How are you doing, bud? Kia ora. Good, good. Hunker down in the weather, but yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, if anyone doesn't mind a bit of water, it's probably yourself, mate. You love getting out on the water and having a wee sail. Talk us about post-Singapore, mate, because the lightning strike situation has been quite dramatic, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were, um, we were busy celebrating our win in Singapore, which we're pretty proud of, and uh, meanwhile, our boat got struck on the water and uh, caused a bit of damage, so that's on its way back to New Zealand to um, to get checked out. But luckily, we've got Canadian boat for the next event, and they've got a brand new one. So yeah, it's all pretty interesting. Yeah, tell tell us about that transition. So like when you're going on, and obviously you're thankful that Canada have been able to give you access to their boat, but they'll be total different setup, total different makeup. So it'll be a difficult transition for you and the team. Have you had to do any more training, or is it? Are uh, they pretty similar kind of setups for for yourselves? Yeah, no, they're very similar actually. All the all the boats on the circuit are identical, so um, so well, well, we're pretty sure that they're they're exactly the same. Um, we've taken <laughs> our foils from our boat and used those, and also our wing. So the only thing we're really borrowing off Canada is the platform, and um, hopefully they've done a good job of making sure the boats weigh the same and they're all calibrated nicely. And I guess the biggest difference for us is our boat's going to be white, not black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mind you, we do. Hopefully, the sun's out. We can say we've got the white jerseys on. Josh Hay, um, yeah. make the season. How's it panning out? You know, you've got a, a a decent shot at the top three. Are you guys confident you can make that top three and head over to San Fran? Yeah, exactly. We're currently in um, second overall with uh, two events before the big final. So, um, yeah, we just need to maximise the points both in Sydney and then back here in Littleton in New Zealand. So. We're just working hard towards that, playing the long game, and um, yeah, we're in second, so we just need to keep chipping away. So you, you, you head into Sydney, and you hope you can get the result there, but the GP, sail GP down here in Littleton, are you excited to get home and, and sail in front of your friends and family back in our own waters? Yeah, we can't wait, eh? The whole team's super excited to bring the event to New Zealand and to race here. Um, you know, you feel a bit of a buzz around, especially people you know, pretty excited to fly down and watch it. So it's going to be a bit of a natural amphitheater down there, and they always seem to get really good breeze in Littleton. So um, I think it's going to be pretty action-packed and a pretty cool place to sail. So, yeah, stoked to bring it home and yeah. to show what we've been doing around the world, eh? Yeah, tell, tell us about that. Oh, I've been thinking about it because it's quite a bit of an enclosed area. Uh, there from from the you know from the hills, but it comes down and and Christchurch is a very windy place on on, it, on its day, so the wind wouldn't be a factor. But the kind of channeling of that wind through that little basin is it going to be difficult sailing through that? Um, 
it will be on the windier side. Like they quite often get what you call a sea breeze, so it gets quite warm, hopefully down there. And then the way Lisbon Harbour is set up is it kind of comes straight down in that harbour, and um, mm. yeah, you normally get sort of twenty knots, which is upper end for us. And the grandstand is right on the waterfront there, and the course will be right next to it. So um, I think it should be a pretty exciting place to sail, and, and, and it should make for some really good racing. Should be cool. Hey, Josh, none of us like asking this question, but why are the Aussies flying this year? (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to slow them down a little bit. I feel like they've got a little bit lucky at a few events and managed to um, just sneak a couple of wins, but they seem to do it too often, so it can't be just luck. But um, no, we've been definitely, we've been nipping at their heels and we've um, been starting to beat them quite a bit, so we just need to keep that going and keep building on that as we get towards the the final event where, where, you know, the winner takes all. What, tell us about the event in itself, like Aussies, you know, like we love to hate them, but they're very talented at what they do, so you can understand they're very good at sports, and that's probably why they frustrate the hell out of us, but the circuit in itself, is it quite a good environment to be a part of, and, and all the teams get on with each other? Yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah, it's a great circuit, so there's always been like a, 11 events throughout the year, um, 9 teams racing. Um, you know, all, all the points sort of add up and then you get to the final event and you do one race for a, a winner takes all. So um, like you said before, it's just the top three teams um, go through to that final race and we just need to make sure we're in that. But in terms of the people, you know, there are a lot of people we've known for a long time from different sorts of racing with Jimmy Spittle and Slingsby mm. and, um, you know, people from the GBR team. So, yeah, I mean... Spend a lot of time racing, and we just want to make sure we beat them. And we want you to win too, Josh. Don't you worry about that. Hey, look, are there are there some teams that you just don't love? And when it gets really hectic and windy out there, um, do the, is it like the the battle hats come on, the harder hats come on? Yeah, I will, we always enjoy seeing the Aussies not do too well. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably our number one. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I don't mind seeing the British have a shocker too. So somewhere between those two things. Uh, is there banter? Like when you go past each other, is there any banter? Like can they hear when you're going past See ya. Them? See you later. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Yeah. Oh, they used, to have, they used to have a channel where you could push a button and the helmsman could speak to every boat on the course. And one time we made Ben um, one time we made um, the Aussie slings they have a huge crash and he just comes over and starts losing the plot on the radio and then everyone else starts giving him grief. <laughs> just made a fool of himself. <laughs> so it's always a bit of fun every now and Oh, I love it. Bit of banter out there on the course. That would that would be Blair Cheek, wouldn't it? Everybody getting tongue and cheek. I can't see Pete Berlin, but he can get his lippy out there. He's pretty calm, cool oh. and collected. Yeah, every now and then he doesn't mind chucking an elbow with my <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, mate, look, you're obviously down here in Christchurch and Littleton in a couple of weeks. You would have had plenty of people hitting you up for tickets. Just tell us about the week. What, what, what should we expect if we're able to come along and watch the event, you know, the build-up, the event itself? What, can, what's it, what does it have to offer? Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing. Um, mm. I don't know. I think it's pretty – when you get down there, it's pretty spectacular sort of how big the boats are and how sort of – impressively fast they sail and how close the racing is so I think um, those who make it down and see the racing in real life will be pretty impressed by the noise and the sights just of just of the boats themselves 
Um, I think just having the racing um, in that natural sort of antithet with everyone so close to shore and the, you know the village they've set up, I think is just going to be it's going to be pretty stunning. And obviously, we're I think we're the first event to fully sell out. <laughs> did that in a, in the event did that in a week, so I think it just shows you know you know that Kiwis really love yachting and how cool it's going to be to um, to bring SailGP to New Zealand. Yeah, we've we've been starved at events down here, mate. So I'm pretty sure it was there was yeah. no surprise it was going to sell out. They love it. They love sailing, and we love watching our Kiwis go out on the big stage and compete and obviously get the job done, mate. So Issy, uh, Izzy and Kempi and, and Louie and the crew will be live there at Sail GP on the Friday. So we'll look forward to catching up with you, mate. Just one quick question before you go. Are you, What's the nutrition like for you for yourself? Like, do you have to shred? You know, keep the weight off so that you're not carrying extra weight on the sail GP. Because there is a beautiful bakery over at Littleton, and I want to show you. <laughs> oh, I reckon. I reckon that'll be a bit of me. Eh? I don't mind the cream donut on a pie. I'm not known for my nutrition, but <laughs> well, I reckon I'll sneak out. Well, it's funny you say that. It's a place called Glamour Cakes, and they make the best donuts in Christchurch, and they got good pies as well. So we'll head over there, mate. Yeah, yeah, look forward to it. <laughs> All good. It is, is Josh Jr. and he is part of the uh, Sail GP team that has taken place in Littleton. The Global Sail GP Championship is coming to Christchurch. Go to sailgp.com forward slash watch and go grab some tickets to boot. Thanks so much, Josh. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Matt. Keep listening. Can't wait. It's Josh, yeah. Hit it along, Kimpy. You reckon they, along, you reckon they eh? get us on the boat? You reckon they get us on the boat, Louie? Give us a crack. Yeah. Yeah, Won't they will. Won't go as fast, but... <laughs> nah, you'll... No, because you'll wear... So Josh is a grinder, right? He's G2, so he faces Ford. So I reckon we could get Kimpy and Izzy on the grinding, so you can... Um... But, boys, I've... Um... I'm so lucky. I've actually been asked... I'm going to go to Sydney this weekend. Hey, and yeah. go see... And to the event over there, yeah. I've wow. been... I'm, because they're trying to obviously grow the sport and um, with Sail GP, so I've got an opportunity just popped up through the Sail GP team that a couple of media people were going across just to kind of learn a bit more about it. And I'm I am so excited. I'm probably a little bit biased because of that, you know, but, but a bit of um, bribery <laughs> as such. But the more I'd be reading and studying the competition, like I've got, I think this has got a chance to really blow up. Like the tickets sold out within. I think 30 minutes in New Zealand, because we love sailing, but the thing I think we miss with sailing is we only get the America's Cup once every four years, right? Yeah. You kind of, you kind of, it's like a big trough and you don't, it goes quiet. Well, this is pretty much month in, month out, all year round, and it's the biggest stars of the sport. So I think this has actually got real chance to be something like an event that Kiwis actually attach themselves to and follow the Kiwi Sail GP team. And I know we have... When did we do the first interview with them months ago, right? And we've kind of in, kept in touch. And I, I think it's going to be quite an addictive um, spectator sport. I, I think it's got legs, but, yeah, I might be biased now. It's good to watch. Well, it's like, it's, it's like T20, isn't it, Kempe? Yeah. It's like the T20, it's something different. You know, it's it's innovative and, it's you know, it, it's entertaining. There's always different parts. There's always, you know, you never know who's going to win on their day. So it's, it's something new and, and refreshing and we've always loved our sailing here in NZ we've lost America's Cup to Barbados so we're not we missed that on that so I can understand all those Aucklanders coming down to the brutal <laughs> Christchurch Canterbury reason wearing their eye patches and, and, and having a time to boot there you go the Ferraris no on surprise. water 
Ferrari's on water, man. It is so it is so good to watch. It's on, uh, has been on last year um, at the time when I'm at the gym. So I put the little screen on the TV and I watch the races like real quick. They're over real quick, you know. So when they get going, it's not too long before you find a winner. So and then it goes straight into the next round. It's time for our effort of the week, and well. I'm going to get right into it. There's plenty I could have gone up, come up with. you got to think, you got Finn Russell, who was on an absolute clinic for Scotland over the weekend when they pumped Wales. This could have been Finn Russell. Could have gone down the line of Stuart Hogg, who Hoggy played his 100th test for Scotland. I played plenty of games against Stuart Hogg, and it's a hell of an achievement for him. But no, I'm a golf fan, so this is mine. Scotty, they chant. Number one in the world. Yes, don't forget about me, Scotty Scheffler, punching his way to the $20 million purse, Scottsdale Waste Management Open, 19 under, shooting a six under final round at Scottsdale TPC Stadium course, and... uh, he just punched his ticket way back to number one in the world. Scotty Scheffler, don't forget about me. Sheffy is back, baby, and back in a big way. So that is my effort of the week. Nice. There you go, lads. Nice. Kempi, did you, choose, you got? Did you choose Scheffler last week? No. No, no. I didn't choose Scheffler. I went Ricky Fowler. That's right. Ricky, Ricky Fowler, Fowler was, was good. He was, it was about four off in the final day, but just can't seem to get it right on the last day. Hasn't won for a very long time. Can't even remember the last time. So, hoping Fowler. But no, Scheffler, well done. Well, I would have gone Imperatriz easily, but then I could have easily gone you as he for choosing that golf champion. Scheffler, but I've actually gone for someone else. And it won't be a surprise, will it? No. <laughs> it won't be a surprise to anyone, will it, Louis? No, it won't, Kippy. What, what is it? Well, this man, it's not because he led the Chiefs when they were 10 points down. It wasn't the touchdowns that he threw. It wasn't because he stayed calm and he picked up the MVP. But it was because... The man is going to get a hype reel put up next year for all of us to see about coming back and playing with a broken ankle. Mahomes in trouble, gets away. Mahomes racing with the bad ankle at all. Inside the 20, he's taken down. Somehow, Patrick Mahomes. And there was the story. The effort, <laughs> pillow to post of the hey, week. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Is it broken? <laughs> it's broken. It's broken <laughs> in three places. It's going to come back oh. on a hype reel. Patty Mahomes picking himself off the ground and putting the Kansas City Chiefs in charge of the Super Bowl. I got a question oh, for you. I got a question for you, former elite <laughs> sports people. Okay. Yeah. O- over, under... Two and a half needles he had on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, overs. Over. <laughs> over. I don't 100%. know how it works. Mate. How many do you need? Going from nearly crying 
to, you know, being in, in agony, his family walking off to actually coming out and running. Like, look at the way you started running in that last quarter. <laughs> and he looked back and he was like, skin down that field. He's juiced. And telling me that <laughs> there ain't no bloody quarter he's zone on, in that ankle. He's on crutches today. <laughs> he ain't on crutches, Kempi. He is having a hell of a time. He's, and he's going. <laughs> only time, only time he'll be on crutches is probably day four, when he comes back to reality and it's oh, a little bit sore today. Well, that's what happens when you go for four days, Paddy Mahomes. And I wouldn't expect anything less from you. Oh, how good! Have you got one, Louis? You got a little effort or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's just easy, and we kind of just covered off sharp and smart. Kempi said it. He sat three uh, wide, four wide. He got carved up on the corner, and he still beat a really good group one field. So that's a huge effort. Beautiful, beautiful. There he is, sharp and smart. Paddy Mahomes and the one and only Scotty Scheffler are our efforts of the week, thanks to Bedposts. <laughs> With Tony Kemp. Well, what can we learn from the 57th showing of the NFL Super Bowl? As far as an event and a spectacle, man, what a show from dawn till dusk. Here's three things I, I've seen that I believe make this event an absolute must-see every year. One, the three Ps, passion, patriotism, and players. The NFL final is America's number one game, and played from pillar to post, it is delivered with passion from everyone involved. But it's the focus on the players that brings the day to life. None more so than the two first ever black quarterbacks to play in the Super Bowl. How good. Two, entertainment. From camera work that makes you feel as if the game has been played in your living room, to the Philly captain climbing street poles, the entertainment is unbelievable. And what about the halftime entertainment? A full-blown concert set up effortlessly rolled out so a superstar can entertain the world. Classy. And three, the theatre. Storylines and twists and turns that are rolled out like blockbuster movies with narration that gives you goosebumps. And that is, for me, the real test of events' effects on one's emotional engagement. It's from go to woe, excitement and entertainment brought direct to your living room so that you personally feel you are part of the experience. Will we ever get something as good as that down this part of the world to rival it? Man, I hope so. Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. I wish we got something even come close. Uh, <laughs> World Cup final, the Black Ferns final was yeah. pretty good. You know, good atmosphere there, and and everything was pretty good. Um, look, I just just doing a bit oh, of it reading. Was NFL. Yeah, yeah, it was in NFL. Yeah. I was um, doing a bit of reading at the at the moment and talking about the the Philly the Philly teams over the last couple of weeks. They've lost. Three pro Philly sports teams have some cl- come so close to titles over the last few months. You've got the Phillies lost in the World Series. You've got uh, the Unions lost in the MLS Cup. Now you've got the Eagles that have lost in the Super Bowl. It's been a difficult old time for Philadelphia and their sports fan. And the Phillies captain, well, he'll be... The, the, the cheese steaks, the cheese sammies that I sent to our group, they're so good. Oh, man, they'll be pretty sour today. I was going to say pood instead of food because that's the other part of it. Like that, The other part of the, the day is the food. My my goodness, mate, the amount of 
the amount of food that they must go through on on Super Bowl day. I don't mean just about at the game, but what about what about out on the streets? You know, the restaurants. The, the the only place that was closed down in Philadelphia was the Kansas City Cafe. You said that yesterday. Unbelievable. Yeah. But it's, I was just so impressed um, by that whole event. And, and you're dead right, the Philly captain. I uh, don't think he'll talk to us again because every time he talks to us when, when, it's a, when the ga- game's on the line, they, they tend not to pull it out, pull I, it off. I know. I know. Izzy, Kempe, we've had word. We've made touch with them. We've, we've, got, we've got word from the Philly captain, and this is what his official statement is the morning after. The Eagles' defense... I kind of want to do his accent, but I also don't want to. The Eagles' defense didn't show up in the second half. It was a bullshit call, but we lost that game. No horses were harmed yesterday. <laughs> a few cars I saw on, on social. They didn't show up. That's a, that's a fair summation of that. They didn't show up. but That was the best defensive... Uh, line in the in the competition out there yesterday, and they got they didn't they put a little bit of pressure on Paddy Mahomes, but he got out of that pocket a few times in that second half. They had no sacks the whole entire game, and Pacheco, the running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, he was on flying. How form. good? How good was he? Two hundred fifty. Two hundred fiftieth draft pick. Mm. He was crazy. Fifteen carries, seventy six yards for one TD. And every time he got the ball, he ran over that line. So that was the big difference here. The defensive line for Cairns, uh, for the, the Eagles wasn't able to have that influence. And, well, Captain Philly, he'd be a bit sour today. We'd love to hear from him, but I reckon we'd have to bleep him out constantly 